Blog Talk Radio. Maybe that'll lead to 
picking up a golf club again soon. Uh, when she's an avid golfer, uh, the injury kind of derailed that. So I hope she got good news at the doctor today. Uh, shout out to Gerard Baker, who is, who's working his way up the ranks. He's always giving us love and, and tuning in. So appreciate them and everybody else who takes time to listen. Brought to you by the Smoky Mountain Trader, mydoterra.com, slash Tara Hardy One. So we got some fun stuff to get to. Um, real quick on the running, man. Did I see you trying to be injured in a picture somewhere running? Would you have? Was it a brace? Was it a ice pack? Well, What's going on? It, uh, yeah. So last was it Saturday or was it Friday? Let me look that up real quick. So long story short, I went on last Saturday morning. I, I did a 10K just on my own, uh, which is 6.2 miles. So I did that on my own. 10K? And mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's a 10K. That's a 10K. Uh, I've been slowly but surely moving up. I had broke the five, broken the five-mile mark that week. And so I, I think just overuse. Because last week, Tuesday, I did 5.25, Thursday 5.5, and then Saturday I jumped out to 6.25, which was a pretty big jump. And and so uh, I paid for that a little bit. Uh, and so I strained my right calf. Like it's just it's very, very sore. So I, I gave it a day or two to rest, went back out yesterday, and hit gravel as you're going to do uh, running outside and kind of lost my balance and to correct myself I strained uh, I strained my calf again so I've been icing I've been rotating between peak and ice uh, just to kind of get it back 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 to normal so uh, so I've just kind of cooled it a little bit um, but still, I'm still on pace to get uh, 50 miles uh, this month. So I've done 37 miles so far, and, you know, we're only at the halfway point. So I'm still pretty confident I get to my goal of 50 miles per month, but just got to take it easy a, a little bit. So if, um, oh, what was I going to say? Are you, you having to go on that, that Kawhi Leonard you got to do a little load management. Got to just back off a little bit, a couple more rest days in there, intermingled in with the schedule now. Yeah, and I think, like I said, I jumped up to five miles pretty quickly, probably faster than I should have. Uh, also, it's been hotter. And so uh, to get to five miles, I'm running for an hour straight, which, you know, when it's hot out, and running for an hour takes a lot, you know. Uh, so I've had to be more mindful of getting my water beforehand, make sure I've got my uh, my food in me beforehand. But even, you know, running for 45 minutes straight, if you see not so much at the 5K, but at that 10K and above, you know, they have the water tables along the way. They've got, you know, we get snacks along the way because you're burning through that pretty fast. Uh, so I want to say, 
yeah, Saturday when I did the 6.25, I burned 890 calories. I mean, approximately, obviously. Nothing's really exact. So, yeah, so burning through that, I mean, you, you, you have to put something in. But you, and that's the thing is you don't want to put too much in your stomach beforehand because nobody wants to run on a full stomach. But you want to put enough in so you can get through what you're trying to do. And so I've got to tweak things a little bit. Uh, what I will probably end up doing is, is maybe, uh, you know, do a run in the morning and a run in the, uh, in the evening to kind of – so I'm not out for more than an hour at any one time because that's, that's kind of, you know, when it gets – now that it's gotten a little bit hotter, I'm sweating a lot, it's, uh, it takes a lot out of you. But I still enjoy it, you know. I'm still having a pretty good – uh, pretty good time with it, but you know I've been doing it for right at three months, and this is the first kind of real injury. And not wood; it's not a you know I didn't tear a ligament or you know an ACL or anything like that. Uh, so you know it, it's not too bad. That's good. That's good. And initially, as you were building up, you were hardcore, not even taking water at all, right? And now you're not taking water, but you were just going without water initially, right? Yeah. And you, you, you can, like I said, yeah. And, and, you know, if you're only going for like half an hour, you know, and I've talked to people that, you know, other kind of runners that are way more into it than I have. I've done my research. Uh, you know, that half an hour mark is, is pretty, that, that's where you got to start. If you're going to be more than half an hour, you got to start thinking of, Carrying water, or you know, having a little something, a little, little something to, to snack on uh, as you're doing. Um, now, thankfully, I've met some neighbors along the way of the neighborhood, and uh, there's a lady uh, that lived on the there's my turnaround point. Uh, she's two miles from where I am, so two miles is where I kind of turn around and I can weave my way back. So. She had started leaving little bottles of water on her front porch, which was very, very nice. Uh, wow. So, you know, yeah, I know. <laughs> so utilizing things like that uh, has been has been awesome. Uh, but like I said, I'm just trying to figure it out. I don't, I'm not really running to get into a marathon. I'm just, uh, for lack of a better phrase, I'm kind of like uh, Forrest Gump. One day I just started, you know, decided to start running. <laughs> and... Uh, you know, I'm not really running to lose weight. I mean, I bet I've, I've lost some weight. I've lost about 15 pounds. But, you know, I still snap. You know, I'm still – Mama B's still cooking, so I'm eating really, really good. <laughs> she, did, she did some ribs last night, and I said, oh, okay. Oh. So, you know, <laughs> so, um, uh, you know, I'm not trying to lose any weight or anything like that. I'm just kind of running to have something to do. And uh, yeah, like I said, I'm still I'm still on board. I'm nursing this injury, but I'm gonna get back out there. Uh, I'm day to day. I'll put it like that. There you go. There you go. So yeah, hopefully the, the calf uh, recuperates, doesn't get any more tender than it already is. Uh, and like you said, you're already kind of accounting for that, where you're not stressing it out. You already you know, breaking up the time you're out in the heat and all that. So, good stuff, man. You know, this was this has replaced 
the hooping updates. We got the running update now. So uh, just keeping tabs on on TV's running every week. And we made a, a Dukes of Hazard and a Forrest Gump reference right in the first 15 minutes. So there you go for iconic, classic TV moments, too. So we, we, we covered all the bases. There you go. There you go. <laughs> um, so I guess as far as UK goes, the, 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 the biggest thing, and look, we <laughs> – Fingers crossed on everything. If y'all been listening to us any amount of time, we're not I'm trying to say we told you so. We've been leaning on the side of cautious more than most. You know, excited, but not letting excitement and emotion overrule the fact that, hey, the road ain't going nowhere, and... You can't just wish it away. Yeah, everybody wishes it go away. We, <laughs> that's not how, it's to borrow your phrase, that's not how this works. So, as of now, the football season opener against Eastern Michigan is moved from September the 5th to September the 3rd because, as you well know, being a Louisville native, the Derby has been moved from the first Saturday in May to the first Saturday in September. And can't you know kind of have a football game on the same day as the derby, and you know that's just you know move the game to Thursday. Don't try to compete with the derby. Get more eyes on the football game at the same time. So that was kind of the biggest news. UK football tweeted out the video and uh, a couple of days ago about the move, the schedule tweak to borrow a calism, if you will. So that's kind of the biggest news on the UK front. If everything goes like you hope, and I'm not trying to be negative, but we just, you know, we had we had people catching the Rona before you even get together to go to camp. Zeke caught the Rona. I'm a huge Dallas Cowboys fan. Some other Cowboys caught it. Some Texans caught it. Some Alabama guys caught it. Uh, Houston had to shut their stuff down. Houston Cougars, that is. So, eh, yeah, yeah, still trying to open stuff a little too quick, if you ask me, and the curve didn't really get yeah. flattened, then we, we're trying to act like everything's normal. So if everything it, holds up, we'll see September 3rd for Kentucky opening up the football season. That's going to be a pretty big week uh, because Louisville is playing on Wednesday night. Uh, Kentucky, um, yeah, no, yeah, Wednesday night. Kentucky will play on Thursday Friday would be the Kentucky Oaks, and then Saturday would be the Kentucky Derby. And if if <laughs> if we're still standing here in Kentucky and Louisville, that that would be a pretty big week. But as you said, there's so many moving parts to all this stuff, and, and uh, I, I know you know some folks may not want to talk about the 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 Rona uh, as we call it, but you can't avoid it, right? I mean it's the Rona is dictating how all these things will operate. And it's just frustrating to see people completely abandon any pretense that we do have a pandemic going on. And for everyone that wants us to, quote, unquote, get back to normal, if you just took care of some basic things, we can, we can do that quicker. 
uh, I, I understand, you know, we're going, the thing is we're going to get football. We have to get football. We have to get college football. We, we have to. Without college football crashes, and, and I don't know if you can recover from that. So we're going to get football. But the question then becomes how, how much risk are we going to take on to get football? And that's going to be a question that ADs and coaches and the NCAA and presidents of the schools are going to have to address. Uh, it's what uh, all these leagues are talking about. Yes, money is a part of it, but these guys want to be safe as well. Uh, talk about the NBA and its bubble. Uh, that's a huge. That's a huge commitment. To, to want to go into this bubble for, what, two to three months, that's a lot. To, to, to be away from your family, to uh, that's a lot to give up just for entertainment. So I understand where the these athletes are coming from. They're the ones taking on all the, all the actual physical risk. And and there's got to be some, some checks and balances. I, I've said, and people that follow me on Twitter, I'm not worried about the NBA, Major League Baseball, the NFL when it comes to it, NHL, WNBA. I'm not worried about those people because they've got unions. They've got things they can do. They've got a lot of leverage. So all these questions that we're asking, they'll have answers before they play. My concern has been and will continue to be at the high school and collegiate level. Who is looking out for the kids? And we see all these proposals and all these ideas rolling out about how things should operate. I believe the players should have input. I believe the players should have a voice on these things. As you pointed out, uh, Houston, University of Houston had to shut everything down because they had, I believe it was six or seven cases. Come to find out, they were only testing symptomatic people. What? (laughs) I mean, what? So... Which, which, you know, that's not what was supposed to happen. Uh, at the University of Texas, the Texas AD is talking about just to test, not everything, all the other protocols they have to put in place, but just to test, they're looking at more than a million dollars for the University of, of Texas. That's a huge chunk. So in this pandemic, in this financially strapped Situation, am I to believe that every one of the 120 FBS college football teams are going to test the players as much as they say to the tune of over $100 million just for the testing? That doesn't account for the more rigorous cleaning you have to do. 
that doesn't account for spreading people out, uh, you know, with their meeting rooms and that kind of thing, it's going to be expensive to get this rolling. And I don't want to put negative intentions on anybody, but what I know is human nature, we tend to look to areas where we can cut corners a little bit. So my concern is who is watching out for the players? And people say, oh, the players, they want to play. Look, next year, next school year, Big Miss and Little Miss, they are all in on field hockey and lacrosse. They want to play. If you ask them, they will play right now, right? But as the adult, it is my responsibility, it is my ex-wife's responsibility to look at the bigger picture and ask these questions, which we are doing. Okay, if you want to play, how does this work? What are we doing to protect my children? I've got to ask those questions, right? Because we have seen, even at the collegiate and the pro level, Sometimes athletes need to be need to, need to be protected from themselves, right? There you go. You know, years ago, we used to talk about players that got their bell rung, right? You got the cobwebs. Oh. <laughs> now we understand, hey, that's a traumatic brain injury, and you probably should not have been playing with your bell rung like that, right? Which, and, and you look at the concussion protocol in the NFL, the players want to play, right? And, 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 and you see somebody that, quote, unquote, get their bow wrong, they have to hide their helmet and all this kinds of stuff. You sometimes uh-huh. have to protect the players from themselves. Now, at the professional level, those are investments. Jerry Jones isn't going to let, let Ezekiel Elliott get out here with this coronavirus because he's got a financial interest, not just in the coming season, He's got to make sure Zeke is at his best for the, what, next four or five years, whatever the contract is. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. At the college level, it's a little bit different. And, again, I'm not trying to, 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 to say the coaches and ADs are, are, are maliciously trying to get kids, put kids at risk. I'm not trying to say that. But what I'm saying is if, if you think that you can run, kind of rush things out, and the kids at match you're only going to have for four years, if that, the, the calculus is a little bit different, right? So I, I just I want to make sure that as we move forward, that these leagues do it do so in a practical way. And there's still questions that they have to answer when when the season resumes for all these sports. You've got old coaches. I listened to uh, a, a podcast today, the question about the NBA bubble. What do you do with Mike D'Antoni, who's close to 70 years old and at high risk? Is he going to be in the bubble or out of the bubble, right? Mm-hmm. There's, you know, and, and when we start looking at uh, Greg Popovich, absolutely. And then you start looking mm-hmm. at, 
college basketball, Coach K, Roy Williams, Jim Beheim, Jim Laranaga, Leonard Hamilton, those guys are 70-plus. And on the basketball side, that's way more intimate than on the football side. The football side, you can kind of see the older coaches not being as close, not being as hands-on, right? But basketball, they're drawing up plays in the huddle, right? I mean, it's just a different animal. So those questions have to be answered. You know, if you have three football players on a team that test positive for the coronavirus, that's a different animal than three basketball players, right? And these are things that you have to have plans for beforehand because, you know, kind of angling this back to Kentucky basketball, Champions Classic is November whatever it is. Kentucky, I think we play Kansas this year. What happens if the Monday before that Tuesday, it comes out, Kansas had three positive tests? If you're Coach Cal, if you're Mitch Barnhart, do you let your team play that team? There's so many working parts of yeah. it, and, and, and people think it's all it's about money. It, it, it is. Yeah, I understand that. Money, you can't just shrug that off, right? College football, college basketball, they need to generate that revenue. I get that. But at the same token, at the same time, these coaches, these athletic departments recruit the kids, and the pitch usually goes something like this. We will look out for your son. We will look out for your daughter, right? That's part of it. Yes, we'll try to get them to the NFL, to the NBA, Major League Baseball. But the bottom line is you can trust me with your child. That's what they say. And, and the NCAA in its big, long, winding mission statement is for the betterment of the student athlete. Well, now you, it's kind of put up or shut up time, right, where you've got to – Okay, you know, there's money in one hand, safe in the other, and you've got to try to figure out a, a, a combination to make it work. So I don't envy the people that need to make those decisions because what it looks like on June 17th is not what it looks is going to look like on July 17th. Let's just admit that. August 17th, September 17th, like we don't, we just don't know. I hope that we err on the side of caution, particularly at the high school and collegiate level. That is my hope. That is my sincere prayer. Uh, Because what I don't want to have happen is something, a a flare-up, a player gets sick, a player gets a family member sick, and then, you know, all the sports writers that are talking about how fast we need to get back to normal you know, now they're writing about, oh, this was a preventable situation. Yeah, we knew it was, we know some of this stuff is preventable now, so let's do what we can to prevent it and mitigate as much as we can. And that's to where the patience comes in or, or lack thereof. It's, just, it's preventable, but it's not preventable 
instantaneously. <laughs> it, there was, you know, initially plans laid out that were, you know, to be followed in phases and all that, and, and we're just trying to run through those hurdles instead of, you know, letting them come, letting them come to us, trying to just plow through it. And like you said, for it to be preventable takes a little bit of time and patience. Right. And and, and we have to let we have to let the medical people drive the bus. You know, that's been the biggest one of the biggest issues when you look at uh sports injuries, particularly concussions, is you know, what the coaches may want sometimes runs counter uh, productive to the best physical interests of the player. And so you need that independent voice to say, no, coach, player X needs more time to heal from injury Y. <laughs> and so on yeah. a much bigger scale, we've got to yield to what the doctors are saying and understand that with this coronavirus, this COVID-19, there's a lot of it we don't know. We still don't know. Mm-hmm. And we're learning more and more, and we have to be able to adapt uh, to, to things as they change. So, like I said, a lot of moving parts. Uh, I think a lot of the uh, NBA players uh, have concern about the bubble, uh, who can, can cannot come out of the bubble, uh, I mean, there's just so, so much. And the thing is, you can have a perfect plan, but, all, but you know, you can plan it, but all it takes is one situation and it all blows up. You know, that's the, that's the situation uh, as well. And the players, from their point of view, financially, I understand the players, the NBA players don't play, I believe the the owners can redo the collective bargaining agreement, and with revenue being way down, that's going to affect player salaries. So I get that they need to, they need to go out there and play. But if you're one of these superstars that's on the cusp of getting one of these max deals, you want to make sure that you're protected. Because if you're a Donovan Mitchell who, who's looking to cash in, for example, and and you know you 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 contract the corona, you survive, but your lungs aren't what they used to be. Well, now your earning potential is diminished. So you want to have mm-hmm. those protections built in, right? The, the same way with all athletes. Yeah, the owners need to protect their money. The players do too. You know, and so much about this coronavirus, we focus in on the death rate. Uh, I encourage folks to to read some of these stories of survivors months out after recovery and and still not able to function like they did before. So there's a lot at stake with these negotiations. Yeah, sure is. It's just, like you said, still minute by minute, still learning. And just hasty eagerness, and yeah, everybody's tired of being quarantined, tired of being in the house, 
but you know, <laughs> like I said, like I said, wishing it away is not gonna do it. Um, and <laughs> it's just like it's <laughs> you got to still be serious about it. Got to got to be disciplined about it. I'm sitting here rambling and getting stuck with words, but uh, it's kind of playing out. Sort of kind of the way you you hated, you hoped it wouldn't, but it kind of is. You know, guys, people getting it before they're even assembled as a team. Uh, you know, Patrick Ewing, other celebrities, Tom Hanks, Rudy Gobert. You know, it's, it's and it's still that mentality. Well, if it don't happen to me, it, it don't really hit you till it hits you. And when this hits you, you know, sometimes you don't recover from it. So. Right, and, yeah. and, and you know, not to belabor the point, but I just hope we proceed with caution. And I, I mean, that that you know, proceed with caution. You know, that 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 would be my. I think we gave about five cents on that one. Mm, yeah, exactly, exactly. So, take us a quick little break. Come back and talk about this bubble. Uh, you know, what's MLB doing? We still got tons of stuff to get to. Um, to catch Talk Wednesday, Vinny Hardy, Terry, TV Brown, Brown and Hardy Radio Network. Stay right with us. We'll be back in a couple minutes. Got a weird beeping sound. I don't know if that was on my end or your end. But uh, we'll be right back in a couple minutes, y'all. Don't go nowhere.
Welcome back, y'all. Rolling through another show. Eight four eight four five two seven seven nine three seven three at Cat Talk Wednesday on Facebook and Twitter. Give us a follow. Give us a like. And interact any type of way you'd like to, and we'd appreciate it. Talking about the tweak to the schedule, talking about the NBA bubble, and it seemed like everything was almost ready to go. July 31st, boom, ready. And then, talking about last week, you know, we was tweeting out some guys were hesitant, some Zoom calls and conference calls, and uh, Kyrie. Was saying that you know, now's not the time to play. Dwight Howard, others came out. Uh, not the time to be focusing on basketball. The guys that are hesitant to go to Orlando. You mentioned it about you know being away from your family for that long, and then maybe you know tried to adjust it, and maybe you could take some family members. This hundred plus page rule book edition bubble book came out. Uh, you know, you can play ping pong, but you can't play doubles. You got to quit playing with the same deck of cards after a hand or two. Uh, trying to, like you said, cover all the bases, but there's still so many questions and so many unforeseen situations that could come up. Um, as detailed as the bubble book was, um, you know, players can go to each other's games. They're not going to be allowed in one of those hotel rooms. Uh, a, a lot of stipulations and do's and don'ts. The thing that jumped out at me that was kind of sketchy was that the, the rooms were only going to, the rooms were only going to be clean once a week. So in this peak corona disinfectant, wash your hands, sanitize your hands, try to minimize it that way. Uh, in addition to the mask and social distancing cleaning thoroughly all these detailed stipulations and rules and regulations and bubble book guidelines but the room's only going to be clean once a week that's what really jumped out to me is kind of weird yeah in the NBA with Kyrie and like the Kyrie and Dwight kind of coming in now I still think the NBA is going to play because like I said in the first segment if they don't, the owners can renegotiate the collective bargaining agreement, and that salary cap and those max contracts are going way down. So the league is going to play. Uh, my thought is this: if the leagues come back, your 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 union comes out with this handbook, and as you point out, there's some issues with it, obviously. But if majority of people say, okay, we can we can live with this. Well, then it's on you whether or not you want to play in the bubble, right? The 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 thing mm-hmm. about this is, to me, if Kyrie is not going to play, like the Nets aren't going, you know, they have not been in. I don't think. I should probably look that up. Yeah, I don't. But Kyrie, long story short, Kyrie himself is not going to play. All right. Uh huh. So it doesn't matter what the protocol, he's not going to be there. So if I'm another basketball player, okay, Kyrie, I'm not listening. You got no skin in the game. I know he's mm-hmm. the VP of the Players Association. I get that. 
But come on. If you're not going to be there, what are you doing? The other issue that they brought up is uh, the Black Lives Matter, and there's things that we need to do with this cause. Um, I admire that. I've got no problem with players speaking up for social justice and different causes, but I want to tell Kyrie and Dwight Howard and some of those other guys, I think America needs fixing. If you think that we need to revamp the, the, the police department, we need to fix that, you're not going to do that in two months, right? Like, whether or not you play NBA basketball or not, those issues are still going to be there, right? Like, this, we're not going to fix this broken system in two months. So while I understand they have a passion for this, I'm just saying whether or not you're dribbling isn't going to have an impact. And LeBron, who's done so much off the court, I know he's a, you know, crazy example, but a, a lot of these guys have done, you know, you can, you can do a bunch of different things at the same time. You can play basketball while continuing to talk about different things. You can uh, use the, the, the pulpit, the platform that playing games gives you to have these conversations. You can still do those things. You don't have to be singularly focused and say it's one or the other. To me, to me, that's just that's just my personal opinion. You can still do your job plus the extra stuff. But the biggest thing yeah. is Kyrie brings up some points, and I'll give him a couple of tick marks for that. But it's coming from Kyrie, the flat earth guy, <laughs> the conspiracy theory guy. And so what he says doesn't hold as much weight as what LeBron says. It just doesn't because, oh. you know, at, at the uh, while the season was going on, you know, Kyrie is saying all this stuff, and most people are just like, what? Like, you just need to play basketball. You just need to whatever, whatever. So you do absolutely have to look at who's delivering the message. Like, what Kyrie says makes some kind of sense, but it's Kyrie. And, and I'm not – and his the second loudest voice and all that is the White Howard. And <laughs> you know from his time in Houston, I look, there are people I will follow into quote unquote battle, right? If they say so. LeBron, you know, MJ had that swing, you know, Larry Bird, those kinds of guys. But Kyrie and Dwight Howard, no nah, man, I'm not no. No, I, I got to check a few things out before I join up with you guys. So <laughs> that's my that's my thought on the on the NBA. It's they're going to play, but if dog, if you're not even playing, what are you talking about? And, and that's where people are coming at with Kyrie is he can say all this stuff, but at the end of the day, he's not playing. That's the frustrating thing I think yeah. a lot of people are having with him. And that's your boy Dwight for the second go round in purple and gold. So that's 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 your that's LeBron's headache. 
<laughs> whenever they play again next month. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, and I'm saying this uh, with my team sitting in first place, right? This is, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's the thing, too, is, you know, and, and people talk about asterisks and all this kind of stuff. Man, if they get this thing off and running without any kind of major hitches, I think yeah. you look at the eventual NBA champion not as some kind of throwaway. You say, oh, my goodness, how did you pull that off with all this other stuff going on? I think whoever it is, you just tip your hat and say, okay, you know, that's a, that's a real champion. Yeah, even when you know, Phil Jackson tried to say the Spurs had an asterisk in 99 because of the 50-game season, everybody had the same – same 50 games for everybody. It was there for the taking for somebody to win. It wasn't like it was Phil. Was Phil not coaching then, or was he coaching the Lakers? No, because when he went to the Lakers, he, mm-hmm. they started winning right off the bat. So he was out of the game, wasn't he? He, he was out in 99, yes. He was not coaching in 99. Yeah. Yeah, so everybody had the same 50 games. And, you know, he plays his mind games and has his Zen stuff, and he was, you know, throwing shade at Spurs. But that's the same – that's the same logic. It looks feels great. You can't argue with his 11 rings. And, you know, smart guy, great guy, great career. You know, everybody, we know his story. But that's the same logic as people that try to say, well, you know, those titles that, that – Kentucky won ropes four titles. It was, it was a totally different ball game back then, and it was, it was pre-integration. It was a different game, not as you know, but Louisville would take those four titles had they won them. North Carolina would take those four titles had they won them. Everybody else playing had the same opportunity to win those four titles in 48, 49, 51, and 58, and. Had some other school won them, they would gladly boast those banners if they were, if you know, if they had cut down the nets in those respective years. So, you know, Phil was taking his little shot, but you know, all fifty teams had a chance to do what the Spurs did in '99. You know, Sean Kemp came back out of shape and never, never been the same. You know, he was in Cleveland and oh, it wasn't Seattle Kemp. You know, it wasn't the same dude. So everybody had the same chance. And it was all about what you did during your time off. Some stayed sharp, some didn't. Uh, so, you know, you can't really cry foul or asterisk when you had the same opportunity as everybody else. Exactly. So, uh, I think, looking at the NBA, I think this helps the veteran teams to kind of know what they need to do to get ready for the playoffs. I think this hurts the younger teams that, yeah, their legs are going to be fresher, but historically what we've seen is these veteran teams that know how to pace themselves and get their minds and bodies right, those are the teams that do better in situations like this. Let's so just take these next 10 minutes. <clears throat> we'll call John Dixon at 7. And since that's going to be a little tough on your Niners fandom, 
just go ahead and bask in the glow of your Lakers fandom the whole 10-year anniversary of uh, what beating the Celtics in the finals. And, and I saw you tweeting about all that. I saw the Lakers tweeting out Kobe's alley-oop against the Sixers. So that'll kind of be some salve for the 49ers wounds that are coming up in the second hour. So, you know, relive the Lakers anniversary. I've seen you've been tweeting about it. So uh, I'll just let you have it, let you reflect. Yeah, 10 years uh, since the Lakers beat the Celtics in Game 7 of the 2010 NBA Finals. Uh, a lot of folks like to point out Kobe shot uh, 6 of 24. Neither team shot well when you look at the stats. Uh, but Kobe also grabbed 14 rebounds and had, I believe, uh, five or six assists. So you can, you know, Bill Simmons, the uh, sports guys, you know, Kobe 6 of 24. That's great. But keep in mind, the Boston Celtics had a lead in game seven of the NBA Finals <laughs> and lost that game. <laughs> they had a lead. So, uh, you know, and, and also it's the anniversary of the 2008 NBA Finals where the Celtics won and beat the Lakers in game six by 50 points. Or, I mean, it was it was bad. I, I was on vacation watching that one. I watched every minute. Mm. I watched every mm. minute of, of that game, and it was clear from the second quarter on that the Lakers weren't weren't going to do it. But I remember saying to myself, uh, the camera pan to Kobe, uh, I said, he'll, he'll be back. Like, I, I knew game six of the 2008 finals, I said the Lakers will be back, Kobe will win. And, and game barely it came to pass, back-to-back championships uh, in 2009 and 2010. So, uh, for all the talk of the Lakers being terrible, you know, 10 years later, kind of right back to being the favorites on winning again. And, you know, 10, 10 years between finals appearances is as, long, is as long as the Lakers have ever called. That's the, you know, I, I've said it before when we've talked on this show about the Lakers and the last few years not being great. This is as bad as the Lakers have ever, ever been. You know, this 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 is it. And now with LeBron and AD back to being the best team, not only in the West, but uh, best team by record uh, in the league, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I want to get this started again and add number 17 to the, uh, to the trophy case. I, I think there's a lot at stake. If LeBron is able to do that this year, uh, being the man on for three different franchises to win, you know, helping the Heat win two, uh, of course, bringing a championship to, to Cleveland, uh, and, and then helping the Lakers get back. That's a, and I'm not trying to get into LeBron and, and MJ debate. I'm just saying that puts LeBron on in very rarefied air on 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 his basketball resume. So. Uh, yeah, so today's got a lot of good memories for Lakers fans. Not too great losing in a blowout fashion to the hated Celtics, but uh, beating them in Game Seven kind of balances it out. Yeah, yeah, and I, I forget who put the tweet out. 
Um, but they said that I don't some NBA media member, but I can't remember that when the Celtics won in '08, was it that Kobe Kobe put a little small picture of <coughs> excuse me of Paul Pierce celebrating in his pocket or in his locker, and you know just kind of in true Kobe fashion used that to keep the fuel that was already burning within him that much hotter. Um, you know, you, you see teams that lose just sit there and watch the confetti fall, especially in the World Series. You know, the losing teams sit there in the dugout and watch the pile, the dog pile on the mound. Kobe had a, a picture of Paul Pierce celebrating beating the Lakers in 08 just to use that to get revenge on them when they met again in the finals when the Lakers did go back-to-back. So, classic Kobe. Right, and, and like I said, I knew that just uh, – I saw that, and I forgot who tweeted out, too, that little blurb. He cut that out and kept it his motivation. I saw it as he was sitting on the bench, <laughs> and he just had that stare. I said, he's going to be back uh, because the, the Lakers were good. And, and, and let's really talk about with with the Lakers, Kobe's career – uh, you know, from 96 to 2010, you know, five titles and two more finals appearances, that's pretty good. You know, that's a, you know, getting to the final seven out of however many years, that's, that's, that's a pretty good uh, run for Kobe. Um, but, yeah, I saw that, like I said, he was on the bench. I said, the Lakers will be back. Like, I'm not worried. And they had a good squad. Andrew Bynum was coming into his own. Uh, Pal Gasol, who I think he's on that short list of greatest foreign-born players. You know, at least from the European side, I think you go with Dirk. Pal, maybe right up there when you're looking at European players, I'd, I'd say, off the oh. top of my head. Uh I know Ford-born overall, your, your man of team is, is that dude. I, I, I don't think that's a, any question. But, you know, for yeah. as far as European guys, Powell's up there. Right? He was uh-huh. – uh, he, 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 you know, uh, as, far as, as far as passing big man, he's on that short list as well. So those Lakers squads were good. Um, so, you know, I hope they get things together yeah. under the – in the bubble and get things because I want that other title. Would you, what, Dragon Petrovich, Dirk, Pal, I mean, is Devin Shrimp got to be in there? I mean, if we going to, you know, we going to start in five European guys? Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Then, then, you know, Sabonis, but we didn't Parker. see young Sabonis. We didn't see young Sabonis. Yeah, Tony Parker. Right. We didn't see young Sabonis. Oh. Hmm. Yeah, by the time we got Sabonis, he was pretty passive, but he wasn't quite what it, you know, we didn't see him at his peak, which is a shame because everybody that mm-hmm. played against him in international competition was like, yeah, he was that dude. You know, he was – he was that guy. Uh, I think he put yeah, Tony, Tony Cooper. Yeah. Uh, 
on that list as well. Uh-huh. Tony Parker draws a pitcher's backcourt. Ooh. Yeah. Dirk at the I'd... three. Uh, ooh. Or the four, rather. What is that? You know. Who coaches as the bonus to round out that five? I think that'd be a pretty good year yeah. starting five. Just, just off the top of my head, uh, right? But I think uh-huh. you know how Powell would make that team. That's uh, right, right, ba- right. Based on mm-hmm. just, based on just NBA career, I will put Powell ahead of the bonus. But uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that might be interesting to look at. You know, foreign-born players. You know, I think you put Ginobili on the list, and obviously, mm-hmm. uh, like I said, Akeem. Uh, the the best foreign born player, uh, you know, I'm no Rockets fan, but uh, I've said on this show, I've tweeted out, Hakeem is better than you even remember. Like if you catch a whole game yeah. with Hakeem, like he was just uh, and trying to explain it to folks, the 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 way a team moves for such a big man. Like, we still haven't seen anything like it. Like, I know Kevin Durant is seven foot tall and, and Dirk and, 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 you know, some of these other players that have come. But, but nobody created space like a king. Like, nobody. And that's the frustrating thing with Dwight Howard is, how do you learn from a king but not pick up anything? Like, how do you not learn anything? <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Man, that's you been know, my gripe. For years, <laughs> how do you how do you work Kevin, with a lot? Kevin McHale was your head coach. Kevin McHale was your and head Kevin coach. McHale, and Kevin McHale, you know, here I am giving props to Celtics. He had post moves that were just you know just shoulders, hips, slight movement, just to get enough space to get his shot off. Like it wasn't flashy, but Kevin McHale was that dude. Like he was really really good. Uh, and you know, I, I, you can see his impact on Kevin Garnett. Kevin Garnett got a little bit more post moves when uh, Kevin McCampbell came to coach. So, but back to what we were saying, as far as foreign players, Hakeem is at the top, and then you can kind of argue from from there. Absolutely. Let me pick this back up before the end of the show. Right now, we'll give a call to our guest. John Dixon, we'll get his number pulled up, has covered the Chiefs for a long time. So he was there for all the coming up short, the good teams that should have made it to the Super Bowl, all that heartache, and now still there, of course, when they got over the hump this season, I can get the phone number pulled up. So, as we like to do, we talk to media members and different folks from different parts of the country, get a little different vibe on what's going on in their part of the country or their particular sport or team that they're covering, in addition to UK being the foundation and the core that this show is, of course, built on. Let me... And get his number, my goodness. Let's see. Just struggling. There we go. Get 
get John called up here. And he's been there through sticking thin with the Chiefs as well. Talking about it won't all be just Chiefs Niners. It'll be some past and some future and a little bit of the culmination in Super Bowl 54. Here we go. That took me so long to get it dialed up, didn't it? Hello? Hey, John. This is Vinny and Terry of Cat's Talk Wednesday. How you doing? Good, Vinny. How are you? Doing good, doing good. We certainly appreciate you taking time out of your evening to hop on the show and, and talk some Chiefs with us, man. Definitely thank you so much. Appreciate it. And full disclosure, my, my co-host Terry Brown is a <coughs> died-in-the-wool diehard 49ers fan that was six minutes away from thinking they had won another title. So we'll just lay that on the table <laughs> right at the beginning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, John, Vinny said we're gonna have we're gonna be talking about Kansas City Chiefs. I said, I don't really want to talk about the Kansas City Chiefs, but we're glad that you did <laughs> that you joined us here to talk a little little Kansas City. So uh to kind of kick things off, are you still on a Super Bowl high? Is, is Kansas City still, you know, kind of walking on air uh, after the Super Bowl? I would say yes. There's a lot of people who still feel that way. There's been a lot of distractions, of course, that have affected all of us that have kind of taken the shine off of it. We all feel, I think, like we haven't really gotten to appreciate it the way we probably deserved to appreciate it. But it's definitely been a high here in Kansas City. It really has. Now, I know from John's point of view – I'm sorry, Vinny. I'm sorry. I was just going to just set up, John, just a little bit. You are the deputy editor for Arrowhead Pride for the SB Nation Network that covers the Chiefs. And just real quick, you were exactly the type of Chiefs media person that I was looking to try to get on. I reached out and sent a few emails here and there to different – uh, outlets that cover Kansas City, uh, a couple of more of the younger side, and this is not a, a slight, but in your bio, you watched Super Bowl One. <laughs> of course, that contained the Kansas City Chiefs. Super Bowl Four when they won, and now, of course, Super Bowl 54. So you have been there. You are exactly who I wanted to come on to talk Chiefs. And that's why I was so happy that you, you definitely were uh, willing to come on. CB, I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead with your question. I just wanted no. to lay John's resume out there. Yeah. Well, I, I'd just like to say that, uh, you know, that's a very roundabout way to say that I'm old, but that's not a problem because I am old. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> Perfectly all right. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not offended. I'm insecure in my, in my oldness. <laughs> I know my point of view watching the Super Bowl when the you know six minutes left and it's a ten point game and I'm starting to taste that Super Bowl victory. On the flip mm-hmm. side, when did you, as, as the Kansas City kind of point of view, when did you start thinking, I think we could win this game? 
or you know, was it just you know, when was that? When did that light bulb go off for 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 you guys? I'll give you five words: two, three, jet f- chip wasp. The third and fifteen play. Uh, Patrick yeah. Mahomes yep. has been making these kinds of plays ever since he arrived in Kansas City. Uh, the only question at any given point is whether he'll make one today that will make the difference. More often than not, he does. And when we saw that play, we knew the game was going to go our way. Um, I'm sorry the 49ers didn't realize it quite as quickly. And I and I truly apologize because I know that must have been a terrible feeling. And I know this because as a Chiefs fan for 50-plus years, I can tell you that we have seen that a lot. Uh, you know, in playoff games that we thought we had in hand and then went sideways. I was sitting in the stands in Indianapolis in uh, the playoffs after the 2013 season and watched a 28, what was it, 31 to 10 lead, I think it was, of the second in the beginning of the second half that turned into a 45-44 defeat. So I definitely know how you were feeling. And so I, I, I feel for you, my brother. <laughs> well, and, and that's the whole thing was if I'm going to lose the Super Bowl, lose it to the Chiefs organization. Because I've admired them from afar going back to, of course, you know, Elvis Gerback played there and Rich Gannon and all those teams. And, uh, you know, it was like, you know, from, the, from an outside perspective, Kansas City just had really good teams. It just couldn't get over the hump to those really great, whether it was Denver, whether it was Buffalo, you know, it was like they would have these 10, 11, 12 win regular season, and then the playoffs would roll around and the wheels would just come off, uh, just like that Indianapolis game you were talking about. Right, and and that's why I say I, I definitely appreciate where you were coming from with six and a half minutes to go in the game. Um, yes. Sometimes the Chiefs have not been very good since 1971. Um, Sometimes the Chiefs have been pretty good, but couldn't get over the hump. But you're right. It's always been a quality organization and just from top to bottom. Um, You know, they didn't always do things the right way, but you could always count on the Chiefs to be uh, an organization that treated people right um, and when they realized they weren't treating right people right, they fixed it. Um, you know, that's right. the sign of a quality organization that they recognize when they're going the wrong way and do something about it, uh, whether it has to do with football or whether it has to do with just, you know, being a human being. And um, I- I'm proud to call myself a Chiefs fan for that reason. And I'm, of course, delighted that now we get to walk around with the championship for a while. Yeah, absolutely. I'm talking with John Dixon, deputy editor at Arrowhead Pride. Follow him on Twitter at Arrowhead Phones. Compare and contrast, John, the Super Bowl four victory over the Vikings and Super Bowl 54 over the Niners. Um, just, you know, both sweet. I'm sure like, you, you guys didn't envision the drought being that long. But just compare and contrast, you know, your feelings after both Super Bowl wins. 
Yeah. Um, well, excuse me. <clears throat> I would say um, I don't remember Super Bowl one very well. I, I mean, I remember watching it. I remember, you know, I have images of my mind and plays from the game. I remember Super Bowl four much better. Um, but the Chiefs went into that game having a pretty good idea they could win it. They were they were not favored. I think they were uh, thirteen point underdogs. I think it was, but nobody in Kansas City took that seriously. Um, everybody in Kansas City thought the Chiefs had a real chance to win it, um, and so it wasn't it it wasn't that surprising. You know, obviously we were all jubilant. You know, we had a great parade. Nothing like the parade we had for Super Bowl Fifty Four, <laughs> but. Uh, uh, you know, it was it was a great moment in Kansas City history. I'll, I'll never forget the headline in the Kansas City Star that said, Chiefs Champs of World. <laughs> really poor grammar, but it was perfect. Uh, and um, uh, so, you know, it was it was an amazing feeling. And yes, we didn't know it would be that long. Um, you know, most Chiefs fans, certainly the Chiefs themselves, thought the squad two years later, the team that lost in double overtime to the Dolphins on Christmas Day in 1971 was actually a better team. And it just didn't play out that way because sometimes, you know, the better team loses. And we, those of us who grew up uh, leading Chiefs Red, had recognized that we just didn't know it was going to take so long for things to break our way. Um, and it, you know, the, the disappointments along that road were, were unbelievable sometimes, just totally unbelievable. And yes, because of that, even after Patrick Mahomes big play on third and 15 with six and a half minutes to go in the game, um, there was still that little shred of doubt there. I don't think I completely let loose until Damian Williams ran in that touchdown uh, at that point, okay, this is a done deal. This is happening. Um, it was just the same feeling I had when Otis Taylor ran for the long touchdown to make the score uh, 23 to seven back in Super Bowl four. It was exactly the same feeling. I remember that really clearly. Wow. <clears throat> and you know, we, you know, Terry talked about how quality or- the organization has been. You know, all the great players that have come through there, and you know, we go back to the, you know, Tony Gonzalez, Derek Thomas. You know, we get Tecmo Bowl. I'm not even a Chiefs fan, but I would still <laughs> play some games with with Christian McCoye and Barry Word. Um, <laughs> but talk to me about because look, my dad will will, will like staunchly defend and staunchly go to bat for Willie Lanier. I heard stories about him as a kid and you know, how how great he was. You know, Willie would knock your head off. He doesn't get his just deserved, you know, credit. So talk to me about Willie Lanier uh, as a player. So you got to watch him play. And, of course, he's great, but, you know, he's before our time a little bit. So just, just speak on Willie for a little bit. I will be happy to do that. He's one of my favorite Chiefs players of all time. Because he was hard-nosed, he was a great leader, he was a smart linebacker, um, 
in the mold of linebackers of today and uh, was athletic like linebackers of today. Um, we've been running a series here at arrowheadpride.com um, on ranking the top five chiefs of all time. Each, each one of our contributors wrote a piece naming their five. And I was the first one to mention Lanier on mine because I felt, and, and of course, you know, there were eight Hall of Fame players on that 1969 uh, champion squad, championship squad. I think that's right, eight. And so, and most of them were on defense. So it's really hard to choose one of those guys to represent somebody from that era. But for me, it was always Lanier. He played in an era where all the focus was on Dick Butkus, admittedly a great linebacker. But I would take Willie Lanier any day over Butkus because he was a lot more of a versatile player than Butkus was. He was like a modern linebacker, a guy who could, take Marv Hubbard from the Raiders and throw him on the ground and then on the next play intercept a pass. And that's not something that you saw from every linebacker who played in those days. You didn't normally see that kind of versatility in the player. And on top of that, Willie Lanier is an outstanding human being. I've talked with him quite a bit over the years. Um, And he is a very gentle extremely well-spoken and intelligent man who is always willing to talk to you uh, and, and discuss what's going on with the chiefs. Like a lot of chiefs from that era, he has made the chiefs his life. Even after he retired from the sport, he's one of the, we have an organization here called the chiefs ambassadors and Willie's a big part of that, but he is really a wonderful man that I'm very proud that I've had the opportunity to know a little bit. And um, uh, he just, just top drawer, in my opinion. Wow, that is awesome. That is awesome. We're talking with John Dixon, Arrowhead Pride, talking some Chiefs, current, going back to the past as well, covering as many bases as we can. Were you credential for Super Bowl 54? Were you, were you there in person watching it or – no, I wasn't. Um, I spent, before I was with Arrowhead Pride, uh, I spent 17 years as a credentialed reporter uh, for the Chiefs, covering the Chiefs for a radio station in Kansas City. Um, so my time uh, covering the Chiefs extends back into the early 1990. Uh, actually, the first thing I did as a credentialed reporter was stick my microphone in Joe Montana's face at training camp in River Falls. Wisconsin. <laughs> it was a pretty intimidating experience, I have to tell you. <laughs> but, uh, um, and I did that until, you know, whatever 17 years after that is, what, like uh, 2010, I guess. And about that same time, I started contributing to Arrowhead Pride off and on and joined the staff uh, just about two years ago. Um, so I've been covering the Chiefs in one form or another for more than a quarter century. Uh, that's the, the background I bring to it. Um, I was not credentialed. I was not in Miami. Uh, my editor was down there. My uh, editor-in-chief, Pete Sweeney, was down there. And, um, and that was okay with me. Um, you know, I've spent a lot of games, I've spent a lot of my time as a Chiefs fan in the press box for home games. And um, 
I would almost rather watch it at home. You can really see. I mean, it's cool to be in the press box. It's cool to go down in the locker room and, and interview players after the game and get to know some of the players. Marcus Allen, a great player. Uh, Will Shields, Tony Gonzalez. Some of these guys were just amazing people to get to know. But after a while, you miss the experience of being a fan, you know, and you and you you kind of become disconnected from being a fan. And that's one of the things I like about what I do now is that I can remain a fan and still do my job and still experience it as a fan. So, uh, you know, it didn't really bother me. I, I you know, thought I was going to get to go to the Super Bowl in 1993, and then the Chiefs were beaten in the AFC championship game. And, I, you know, I'd already found a place to stay in Atlanta and, you know, was all very excited about it. And then the Chiefs didn't go. So, um, uh, you know, that's a disappointment that I'll have for a long time, but it is what it is, you know, so. Exactly. And we've talked about it, Terry and I have you know, been able to write for different outlets and, and get credentialed to, you know, be in the press box for Kentucky football games or be a rep arena for basketball games or other various sports. So it is, like you said, and you to an even greater extent than us, but wearing both hats, you know, the, the fan hat when you get to wear it or the media hat when you have to put that on. And so you definitely know that dynamic all too well. Well, you know, I don't know how it is in other press boxes, but at Arrowhead Stadium, you're not allowed to cheer in the press box because it oh, yeah. contains working media from other teams. And I assume that's mm-hmm. the case in other press boxes. And sometimes that was very difficult, you know, and I can remember certain situations and certain plays where the Kansas City reporters would be starting to raise a ruckus <laughs> and we would get a reminder over the press box PA. This is a reminder. This is a working press box. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. And we would all, Absolutely. I remember the, uh, I remember the, the uh, play that won the uh, Pittsburgh playoff game in 1993 was one of those moments. The, I believe it was a, uh, Tamarik Vanover uh, punt return to win the game. And, um, uh, and the, you know, the stadium went completely crazy and we all, we just all didn't care that we were in a working press box. (laughs) This was the team we covered and they had just gotten to the next step in the playoffs. So we were just going to let it out. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Talk about Arrowhead. You know, you, everybody NFL fan knows, its reputation is one of the toughest places to play or seeing their team struggle, their favorite team struggle when they go in there to play the Chiefs, the incredible home court advantage. Just just talk about the, the environment, the tailgate, the atmosphere. Just tell us what makes Arrowhead Arrowhead uh, for those who've never been there. It's Kansas City Chiefs fans. Um, they are among the most passionate fans in the NFL, in my opinion. And that's where it all starts. Uh, from the tailgating, uh, which is, from what I understand, unlike almost any other stadium. I mean, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a passion for people uh, who go to Chiefs games to do that before the game. Um, and that isn't the case necessarily at, uh, necessarily at other stadiums. In some cases, it's because um, the stadiums don't have the facilities for it. 
But one of the things you have to remember about Kansas City is that it's uh, a relatively small market. There's about, I think now, just a little over a million people in the metropolitan area. And that's the that's the size of the city, including its suburbs and both the Missouri and Kansas sides and the you know little bedroom communities, et cetera. It's about a million people. But it spreads out over a much larger area than a typical city of a million people. Um, there's it's a very low population density here compared to other cities. And so the stadium isn't cramped into a tiny little space. There's enormous parking lots that surround it. And there's room for people to spread out and have a party. And that isn't always the case at a lot of these stadiums that are downtown in metropolitan areas, that kind of thing. So that's part of it, is that the facility is conducive to it. And then, of course... Somewhere along the line, the Chiefs fans figured out that they could affect the outcome of games by being loud. <laughs> and uh, once they knew that, especially when the team back in the 90s, particularly when the defense was really good, they realized that uh, they could have a substantial impact on games, and it just went from there. What about um... – Hank Stram. I mean, he was, of course, back there with Super Bowl one and four. You remember Super Bowl four more vividly, like you said. People our age, you know, I've seen the clip, you know, a million times. Just, you know, keep matriculating the ball down the field, boy. But tell us, what are your memories of him? What was he like uh, when he was there coaching the Chiefs, from what you remember? Well, um, Hank Stram was a character. Um, and I think that the modern perception of Stram is largely fueled by that NFL films um, compilation from Super Bowl four, where he's strutting up yeah. and down the sidelines and, and saying all the things that <laughs> Hank Stram would say. And there was a long list of those. Um, but he was also a true innovator on so many levels. Um, he, you know, had very unusual and unprecedented offensive formations and um, things that we take for granted now in the NFL were things that Hank Stram thought of. Uh, the Chiefs didn't run a 3-4 defense, but it was their version of the 4-3 that eventually became the 3-4 defense that is used by so many NFL teams now. Um, you know, Kansas City restaurants wouldn't give him napkins because they knew that when he sat down to eat, he was going to start doodling up plays. So they wouldn't give him a cloth napkin because he would want to carry it away with him with the play he'd just drawn up. Uh, they would give him paper napkins for that reason. And particularly with regard to the conversations we're having today in this country and around the NFL, Stram was famously colorblind at a time when that was not the norm. Um, on that 1969 championship team, eight of the 11 players were black. That was unheard of in those days. Now, Stram wasn't the first guy, who, first head coach who put black players on his football team, but he was one of the guys that made it normal. And for that, he deserves our respect. 
I got to know him a little bit. I interviewed him once on a Super Bowl junket, and he was delightful. I really liked him a lot. He played along with the stunt that I pulled. It was he's he was a terrific guy. Wow, that is that is awesome. I just love this perspective, John. I appreciate it so much. And just just and, staying and on I'll, the on the go ahead, TV, my man. My question is, when we talk about the Chiefs being such an exemplary organization, and just I've got a lot of respect for them, a lot of people, number one, don't know that the conference championship trophies have names, and even fewer people know that Lamar Hunt's name is on the AFC championship trophy. I didn't realize that until I took a tour of the Hall of Fame. So when you talk about exemplary franchises, you know, Lamar Hunt and the and the merger and all that. I mean, Kansas City just seems like a perfect football town. Well, it is in a lot of ways. I mean, I know I've spoken in a lot of hyperbole here, and I apologize for that. But, uh, you know, this is what you get from a guy who's been following the team for 50 years. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, it's funny. Um We had been, it had been so long since the Chiefs had sniffed a conference championship. Uh, let's see, I guess it was uh, 25 years in 2018 when they played in the conference championship game against the Patriots and lost in overtime. And in the week before that game, it suddenly dawned on people. I mean, I, I think we knew it, but we hadn't really embraced what it really meant uh, to the Hunt family and to the franchise that they had never won the trophy named after Lamar Hunt. And so in the week before that game, that all of a sudden became a focus for both the franchise and the fans. And that made the disappointment of losing that game even worse. And you could tell that the players really wanted that for Clark Hunt and Norma Hunt, Lamar's wife, his mother. Um, And that caused them to redouble their efforts to come back the following year and win not only that trophy, another Lombardi trophy. Um, You're right. It, it, It isn't something that you really think about until you win that trophy. You know, what, what the nameplate says, (laughs) And it didn't really – my perception is that most Kansas City fans didn't really even think about it because we just never come that close to it for a long time. And suddenly, in that 2018 AFC Championship, it became a big deal. And so uh, it, it, I think, was part of the fire that was lit in the team after that loss to come back and do it again. And I ask because I just remember the NFL, you know, when you look at ESPN, the NFL Network, making such a big deal when the Bears finally won the Hallis Trophy, you know, to go to the Super Bowl so many years ago. And, of course, when the Packers finally got their hands on the Lombardi Trophy after so many years. And I just – that's why I wanted your perspective on what did it mean to Kansas City to bring the Lamar Hunt Trophy back to Kansas City. And I, and I thank you for that perspective. Yeah, well, it meant everything. I mean, you know, the, the the overriding goal 
has always been the Super Bowl. And in all those years that the Chiefs were very good, uh, you know, the early 1990s, the early 2000s, when the teams, the teams were very good, and, and from the time that Andy Reid arrived in 2013 on, you know, everybody was excited that the Chiefs were good again and that they could be relied upon to be competitive at every game that they played and they were fun to watch and all of that. The overriding goal that everybody had was, but it doesn't matter unless you win a championship. You know, that's the goal. That should always be the goal. It's not enough to just to do well in the regular season. And so, but once we had the Lamar Hunt Trophy in our sight, I thought it was fascinating in 2018 in just the space of a few days when Chiefs fans suddenly realized, oh, we've never won this thing, this trophy named after Lamar Hunt, who is held in extremely high esteem by Kansas Cityans. Okay, no doubt about that. Um, Then all of a sudden it became, I don't care if they go to the Super Bowl. Let's get the Lamar Hunt trophy, and we'll worry about the Super Bowl later. If we don't win it this year, fine. We got the Lamar Hunt. Clark and Norma will be able to hold it up, and that's what's most important right now. It was fascinating to me how quickly people's attitudes about it changed after 25, 30 years of the only thing that matters is winning in the postseason. I don't care how good the team is. Um, it, It was really kind of surprising. And then, of course, once we had won it, then we had two weeks to say, okay, now it's time to get the Lombardi. (laughs) But I thought it was interesting before they had won the trophy that suddenly people were willing to say, yeah, if we we win the AFC championship, I'll be satisfied with this season. Because there was a time that a lot of fans wouldn't have been satisfied with anything except the championship. So, uh, like I said, we kind of went through a, a, a change there right at the tail end of the 2018 season. It was very, it was very interesting to watch. Now, as a follow-up to that, as you start to look forward from the Kansas City's perspective, you've got Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> the, the Chiefs have, if he's not the player, he's on that short list of dynamic guys. And on, you know, from an outsider perspective, the Chiefs have gotten it done with really having a quarterback that was a guy. You know, Joe Montana mm-hmm. had some wear and tear, Alex Smith, Elvis Gerback, you know, those kinds of guys. Rich Gannon was serviceable. You know, I don't need to, you know, to take uh, all these guys. Oh, no, you're going to start a fight if you bring up Rich Gannon. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Go, go into the go into the Raiders. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I only bring that up because when I was in college, one of my roommates was a Chiefs fan, or is a Chiefs fan, and he had a Rich Gannon jersey, and I'm like, I've never seen anyone ever have a Rich Gannon Kansas City Chiefs jersey. It just blew my mind. But well, I would have bought one. Guys, I thought he was terrific. <laughs> you know, you've had these guys that were serviceable and pretty good, but now you've got a guy that there isn't any throw he can't make. And as you alluded to with the third and 15 play, 
he can make magic happen in the Super Bowl. So you've got to feel pretty confident as you look forward that there may be some more Lamar Hunt trophies in the future. Yes, we we definitely have changed that mindset as well. Um, you know, when Andy Reid arrived, a couple of years into Andy Reid's tenure, when, and I wrote an article on Arrowhead Pride that was entitled Because Chiefs, which referred to um, this mindset that Chiefs fans had that something was always going to go wrong. <laughs> and, um, you know, that something would go wrong and we wouldn't win the playoff game. And there was something, I can't remember exactly what the, what the event was. It might have been the playoff win against the Texans, that 30 to nothing playoff win that, that caused me to write that article. Um, but the point of it was, we've got that monkey off our back now. We've won a playoff game. You know, uh, we've we've done something that people thought we couldn't do, that people made fun of us about. And we don't have to say because Chiefs anymore when something bad happens. Well, it happens because Chiefs, you know, that kind of thing. And, right. um, and I, you know, I don't think people bought into it. <laughs> I mean, I was trying to trying to get the idea out there that, you know, we can hold our heads high. You know, we're a competitive football team, team in the regular season and the postseason. And I don't think people bought it, which is fine, you know. Um, but now they do. They do understand that the Chiefs are a genuine contending team with Patrick Mahomes and probably were before Patrick Mahomes. It's just that Patrick Mahomes was, you know, is so good that he's transcendent. You know, even with a terrible defense in, I mean, a truly terrible defense in 2018, the Chiefs were, you know, either an offside penalty or a missed catch or, you know, there were two or three things in that game that if they'd gone the other way, the Chiefs would have gone to the Super Bowl and probably won it. That's how transcendent Mahomes was. The Chiefs were a good team before Mahomes became the starter. Let's not kid ourselves. Uh, Andy Reid has done an outstanding job of taking a terrible team and taking it to the playoffs in his first year and being in the playoffs every year but one since he arrived. Um, Andy Reid has achieved almost godlike status in Kansas City as well. So, oh yeah, yeah. So you know, credit to, to him for all of that, um, and it just made it that much easier for Mahomes to walk in and just immediately succeed, um, and uh, and he did. I mean, it, it was astonishing to watch in 2018 how overwhelmingly good he was, and and fun too. I might add. Absolutely. I got to get your perspective, John, too, because you mentioned that you've you've covered. Uh, we talked about Hank Stram already being a character. Marty Schottenheimer would fit that mold, and now also with you know Andy Reid being there, you know being able to interact with him. You have any any memories or back and forth 
that stand out with Marty Schottenheimer, and then elaborate on Andy Reid. I already touched on him, but like you said, he's the god now in Kansas City. We're doing what he did, and if you had any cool interactions with him, and he's he's of course a a funny character as well. Well, um, Marty was the head coach of the team when I first started covering the team. And so um, he had a pretty strong influence on me on, in terms of, you know, I, I became a better football fan, of course, by uh, covering the team and talking to players and interacting with people in the press box. I mean, you know, I, I, was, I sat on the back row of the press box. And on the back row, you have uh, junior reporters like myself at that point. And then it was the place where they would seat people who had one-day passes for whatever reason. You know, and so one day, Dan, one day Dan Fouts would be sitting next to me. You know, another day it would be, uh, it would be Donnie Edwards when he played for the Chargers after he'd been a chief for so many years and then went to the Chargers. He came back to Kansas City to watch a game and they gave him the seat next to me in the press box. And so I got to spend the whole game chatting with Donnie about, you know, what it was like in San Diego and, you know, what we were seeing on the field. Uh, for some years I sat next to Tommy O'Boyle who had been one of Hank Stram's uh, assistants uh, in the Super Bowl run in the seventies. And he was a, a delightful old gentleman and I learned a lot from him um and I you know I I could just go on and on about how much I learned during that period as a fan and part of it was from Marty you know and I and I uh I thought he was a great coach that uh really I think got kind of a bad rap as you know the the Marty ball thing oh yeah he'll get you to the playoffs but he won't win there and I always thought that was unfortunate because he really did have a formula that in that era should have worked. It just never did. That's all. Um, I used to say that someday Andy, uh, Marty Schottenheimer would uh, stand in the middle of the field at the end of the Super Bowl and hoist that Lombardi trophy and that I just hoped that he was still in Kansas City when it happened. And unfortunately, it never did. But in my mind, Marty Schottenheimer always earned it. Um, he was a fine man. Well, he's still living. I shouldn't refer to him as, as was. Um, he's ill now, of course, with Alzheimer's. But um, he, uh, he is a fine, fine man and was a good, a good coach for the Chiefs. And, uh, and I learned a lot from him. Um, I was very fond of Gunther Cunningham, who was one of Marty's defensive was Marty's defensive coordinator, and succeeded him when he resigned from the Chiefs. Um, I spent a lot of time with with Gun, and uh, and I liked him a lot personally, and I thought he was a good defensive coach. He was not a very successful head coach, but he he brought a passion to what he did that was that was extraordinary and very fun to watch. I liked Dick Vermeil a lot. Um, he was a extraordinarily gentle man who could also be very tough. And he clearly cared about his players. 
um, even after he retired, he was around the complex all the time. Uh, we used to see him all the time. He'd you know, come into town. He didn't live in Kansas City, but he'd come into town for the games. And you'd encounter him in the elevator. And, you know, uh, I remember when uh, when Herm Edwards was uh, brought in to uh, take his place, um, I was sitting in the chairs they'd set up in the in the conference room area for uh, to introduce Edwards. And Dick Vermeil ambled in and sat down next to me and we chatted for a while. I mean, he was just very approachable and and uh, and he was a very good coach, too. And you know, he had the opposite problem as Marty. He, he could feel a really good offense, but not a very good defense. Um, and uh, uh, so, you know, his his formula didn't quite work either. <laughs> but those teams were a lot of fun to watch. And now, just with the big fella, uh, your interactions with him or, you know, I haven't had too many interactions with Andy Reid, but I feel like I know him really well because I talk about this all all the time on our podcast, um, the Arrowhead Pride Editors show. I talk about this all the time. Andy Reid and I are the same age. And it's funny how often what he says I can identify with, you know, from the perspective of of a man who is 62 years old. Um, And he is – he is, without a doubt, um, as innovative as Stram was, as passionate as Marty was, um, as uh, as emotionally invested as, in his players as Dick Vermeil was, and he's funny as hell. I mean, he's just he's just a charming person. And um, the, I, I, I thank my lucky stars that Clark Hunt went to, out of his way to fly to Philadelphia and grab Andy Reid before somebody else did because it's made all the difference in this franchise. You, um, let's see. Let's... Oh, yeah, you mentioned how that, you know, due to COVID-19, the city hasn't really got to savor this title mm-hmm. like they should and, and deserve to like you would in a, a typical off-season uh, where you just just relish it and enjoy it. That being said, were you, were you at the parade? Did you go downtown? Where did you take in the parade once, once the team got back? Well, actually, uh, I I covered it from my desk at home, and I monitored the uh, the parade footage that was coming in from the various live streams, and we were routing it through Arrowhead Pride, and so I I was one of the people who did not go to the parade. It was very cold that day, and I'm the age now where I just don't really really want to be out in the cold that much. And so I was perfectly happy to sit to do my to you know do my part to help the people who could not be in Kansas City that day who wanted to uh, experience the the parade through Arrowhead Pride. So I was very happy to do that. Um, you know, I, in a lot of I I struggled with it. I'll tell you, <laughs> my wife is like, "Oh, you've got to go there. Don't tell me you're not going to go down there." 
<laughs> and but the problem was that you know there were half a million people down there or however many there were, and any way you slice it, I was going to be on my feet in very cold weather for eight, 12 hours to make that happen. And I just, I'm just to the point in my life, I don't want to do that anymore. So I was perfectly happy to do so, to do something so that other people could enjoy it virtually. And, uh, and I'm glad I did because it, it made me feel good to do that. The, the best of both worlds. Then. Yeah. I, I really kind of felt like, I mean, after, you know, I, I, I really almost regretted the decision not to go immediately, but I hadn't been sitting at my desk very long that I realized I was doing something important and that, uh, it was okay. So yeah. it's fine. I love my job. Yeah. You know, I, I love what I do. Um, I, I love being part of this magic period that we're going through. Um, it's made many years of disappointment, uh, now seems sweet to me as I always knew it would, you know, this is, this is what you live for as a sports fan. This is what your average Cubs fan is waiting for. You know, that moment when you get to be on the other end of that stick, you know, and, um, uh, and I'm very glad that I'm living through this period of chiefs history. Absolutely. Now we we believe it or not we've had some Kansas City flavor on the show before. We've had uh, Bob Kendrick, president of Negro Leagues Baseball Museum, on several times with us. Have you popped over and, and checked out the museum, or have you gotten to know Bob, or y'all crossed paths at all? Uh, no, I have not. I'm sorry, I have not. Um, I know who you're talking about. I don't know him personally, but yes, I have I have not been over there, and I should. Yeah, he's always, you know, a lot of fun. And I think the first time we had him on was right around, right close after the Royals won the World Series. So we got to talk that Kansas City joy with him, with the you know the Royals being so bad for so long and, and turning it around and bringing home the World Series a few years ago. So it was fun talking with him. Well, but at least the Royals had won it once before and had been in the series once before, which, uh, yeah. you know, it had been a long time. It had been 30 years between the two um, World Series wins. So that's a long time. But mm-hmm. it – it emphasizes, uh, you know, when you all reached out to me, you were talking about talking about what it's like to be uh, a Chiefs fan uh, during this period after such a long championship, and I've been thinking about it a little bit. And um, so I want to be sure to get this in. Um, what's interesting about this, I was 13 years old when the Chiefs won Super Bowl Four. I remember it but I wasn't near the level of a football fan that I am now. I mean, you know, when you're 13 years old, you enjoy watching football, but you don't necessarily understand everything that's going on in the field. You know, my level of understanding of the game was very low compared to now. (laughs) And so I didn't appreciate it the same way I did at Super Super Bowl 54. And the problem is 
that nobody in the in the organization, no, nobody with the franchise, no media members, um, hard, very few fans had the experience of being an adult for both Super Bowls. And so when we came out on the backside of this, we didn't really know quite how to act or what the next step was, you know, because we had spent so many years ending the season with a disappointing playoff loss or, you know, some kind of disappointment. And so we were all used to this dynamic that the next day after the season was over, it's like, what do the Chiefs have to do to make the next step? What's the next thing we got to fix? You know, what was the problem that we had to solve in order to not have that happen again? Well, what do you do after you win the Super Bowl? I think for a lot of us, we didn't really have a clue what the what the next thing was going to look like because we just weren't um, prepared to look at it that way. That we just maybe had to make a minor adjustment or keep things as much as as they were as we could, which is what the Chiefs have done. They have opted to as they put it, run it back this season. And uh, they have 20 of 22 starters returning this year. They made a real effort to retain uh, the free agents that they could, uh, brought in some role players on inexpensive contracts, which they have shown that they can be very effective uh, at doing. Um, But as much as possible have left the roster unchanged and, um, you know, that too is weird to us. You know, we're used to covering all these changes in the off season <laughs> and, and it all of a sudden seems like uh, there's no Chiefs news because we're used to having all kinds of things happen. After the 2018 season, we had a complete turnover of the defensive coaching staff and, you know, all these big free agent players that we signed and these exciting players that we drafted in the early rounds. And, and this season has seemed like... Um, like nothing has happened when in fact some things have happened but it's still just not at all what we've been accustomed to and i think i think both the franchise and the fans have struggled with that a little bit to the for to the credit of andy reed and brett beach however uh the head coach and the general manager they have approached it in a very workmanlike manner i mean they went sat down and got the business right away the day after the parade and figured out what their strategy is going to be, and then they've, they've executed. Last thing for us to go, John, it's been so enjoyed having you on to talk about all this. There in Kansas City, um, are you a barbecue guy, and where is your go-to spot if the answer is yes? I do like barbecue. Uh, you, it's difficult to be a Kansas Cityan without having some appreciation for barbecue. I'm an outside-the-box guy. Uh, most people will talk about uh, what used to be called Oklahoma Joe's, which is now Kansas City Joe's, or Kansas KC Masterpiece, or Gates, or uh, the old-school guys um, like um, oh, all of a sudden the name escapes me. It's over over by the old ball yard. Oh, for crying out loud, I'm embarrassed. 
the the, the iconic Kansas City barbecue place. Uh, but I personally right. am a Rosedale barbecue guy, <laughs> which isn't one of the more popular places, but it's my favorite. So there you go. Hey, you know. Is it Bryant's Barbecue? Is that the one you're talking about? Yes, Bryant's. Yes, Arthur Bryant's. Okay. Okay, that's another one yeah, of the problems okay. that comes when you're 62 years old. Sometimes that won't come <laughs> to your mind when it when it's called upon. <laughs> yes, Arthur Bryant's. I, I apologize to, to all Arthur Bryant's fans who are listening. That's terrible. <laughs> I should uh, my, I should turn in my Missouri driver's license right now. <laughs> oh, man. That's the egregious sin you committed right at the end. It really is. Yeah. <laughs> well, John, I can't thank you enough uh, for, for taking time out of your evening. Like I said, you were the, the perfect person to have on to talk Chiefs. Uh, all the perspective, all the interactions, uh, being able to cover the team and all the coaches you covered, all the players you covered. The press box interactions, the interviews. Thank you so much. Enjoy this new normal of not worrying about the makeup of the team since <laughs> it's already intact. Just relax on that. Enjoy it as best you can. Uh, definitely hate the corona situation for everybody involved. Stay safe and healthy yeah. and, and enjoy it as best as possible going forward. I will do so. Thanks, both of you, for having me on. I really had a good time. We appreciate it. We enjoyed it, it man. The 49ers fans to the Chiefs fans, congratulations. Yes, yes. Well, the 49ers were a good football team. They they deserved to be there, and uh, they, they did very well. Um, it's just, you know, one team's going to win, one team's going to lose. And I never felt that the 49ers didn't deserve to be there or that they didn't put up a great fight in the Super Bowl. Uh, so uh, I, I have all the respect in the world for the 49ers organization. And I think uh, Shanahan's going to be a, a keeper as a head coach. So, Yeah, and, yeah, and, and I hope they run up. it back and we meet again and we see what happens. <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll, look forward, I'll look forward to that. Thank you so much, John. Enjoy yeah, the rest of My pleasure. Sir. John Dixon, Arrowhead Pride, all the perspective TV, seen it all, experienced it all, uh, and just dropped all that chief knowledge. And it wasn't all just dagger to your heart either. So that's good. No, and, and he brought up a, a, a great point is sometimes when your team wins a championship, when you're younger, you you don't really appreciate it. And, you know, I wish, you know, myself, I would have cherished those 49ers championships because here we are, you know, 26 years later still looking for that, <laughs> that next Super Bowl win. So uh, mm-hmm. winning championships is hard. It really is, no yeah. matter what the sport is. And it's easy to get spoiled. And I did like John's perspective of, hey, now is a great time to be a Kansas City Chiefs fan. You know, yes, the Super Bowl was nice, but, okay, you're competitive. You're in the mix. And that's what that's – really, as a fan, that's all you can ask for is to be in the mix. You know, we've had Meredith Hornsby come on talk about Alabama football and how she's trying to tell her kids 
it ain't always like this, even for Alabama, right? <laughs> there's there's stretches where you're really, really good, but there's going to be years where you're not in it, you know? And, and that's the argument I make to Kentucky basketball fans. Like, hey, we're in the mix every year. And that's as good as you can ask for on a year-in, year-out basis. So I really did like that per, uh, perspective. Yeah, yeah. So, look. Man, he 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 covered. He had it all. He had it all. And yeah, it is. You you can't have the perspective till you get it. So yeah, we were in high school when our Cowboys and Niners were in the mix and and dominating the NFC. And it's been a long drought since. It's, you know, it's not Kansas City long, but like you said, you you you're just too young to know how to cheer stuff because you just it's just what you do. You take it for granted. You know, rookie say it every year. Oh, I think it's, I thought it was always going to be this way. Won the title my first year as a pro. Oh, I just thought that's what it was. Dan Marino going to the Super Bowl in year two, losing to your 49ers, 38 to 16. I thought I'd get back to the Super Bowl year after year after year. That's not how it works. And and that's what that's what really when your team loses the Super Bowl. I mean, it because it hurts because you don't know if you're going to get back. So many things have to go right to get back that you, you know, you talk about running it back and you don't know if that's going to happen. You look at what's happened in Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers. You know, they got close this past year, but a lot of times it's like they're spinning their tires. So you, you just don't know. And yeah, my 49ers have been to the Super Bowl two times in six years, but you know, there's been a lot of bad that you and I have talked about on this show in between and before that, I talked myself into Blaine Gabbert. That's how jilted of a 49, 49ers fan uh, that I was. So, uh, again, you just have to appreciate those championships and those shots at a championship uh, when, you, when you can get it. Uh, I don't know if you saw this tweet that I put out. I'm going to find it. Uh, you know, I talk about the Lakers championships in 2009-2010 and number one team this year. I was a 49ers fan when they had this lineup. Jordan Clarkson, Wayne Ellington, Ryan Kelly, Tariq Black, and Robert Sacra. I was a fan Oh, wow, the Lakers. God. Yeah. So let me (laughs) me enjoy my LeBron James, okay? Let me – let me enjoy that because uh, I think I said on the show they were rolling out dudes I had no idea who they were. Like when 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 Tariq Black came, I was like, "Who is that?" I had to get on my Google machine. So uh, I think as sports fans, you have to appreciate those championships because you you just don't know when you're going to get another opportunity. You know, you look at the Eagles. Yeah. How long those fans waited? And, you know, and they may not get back, you know. So in, in, enjoy the championships while you can because you just don't know. Absolutely. And I hate to just kind of end the show on a, a down note, but just uh, like I saw the tweet from Justin Rowland who retweeted J.J. Weaver himself, U.K. linebacker, who's just lost his father, looks like in a homicide earlier today. His 44-year-old father, Terrence Weaver. Uh, so definitely condolences to J.J. Weaver and his entire family. So 
Oh, absolutely. Take absolutely. The, Send our condolences out to them. Yeah, yeah. I hate to end the show on that note, but that was that's UK football news that you don't want to hear. But yeah, I'll definitely go out to him and his family at this time. Police. Two hours have zipped by. Thanks again to to John Dixon for for jumping on and just enlightening us on all things Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, they're poised to to be there, to be in the mix again going forward. Uh, you know, we didn't throw that D word out there. You know that, that dynasty, but they they have the makings of that. You know, with the job Andy Reid and the GM have done and, and getting themselves in position in the AFC to be on the top of the hill for a while and talking Willie Lanier, Hank Stram going way back, Super Bowl one and all things in between. So thanks again to John for coming on. Uh, hope the calf strain eases up. Uh, you continue to be healthy. Um, and, and take care of that. Manage it the way you already have So so hope you keep on bouncing back Hope you're on the mend And hope that continues for you Absolutely I appreciate it Another great show And you know we'll do it We'll do it again And we didn't even talk about the McGuire Sosa 30 for 30 We'll have to get that on the uh, Yeah Get that on the agenda That's right Definitely going to do that next week Because I, I definitely wanted to get to it But uh I squeeze that in for sure, because you know I got thoughts. I know you got thoughts. So yeah, y'all y'all jump back in here for that next week, and everything else that'll be on the table between now and then. Stay safe. Tell Mama B hello, and look forward to doing this again next Wednesday from six to eight. Take it easy, everybody. Absolutely. TB, this is Vinny Hardy. We'll be back on another episode next week, Cat Talk Wednesday. Brandon Hardy Radio Network, Blog Talk Radio. Take care, y'all.